Oh, I didn't know there was a mute button right there. All right, there we go. Thanks for bearing with that. I uh, normally speak with a handheld. It just feels good to have something in my hand so I don't have two hands to go everywhere. But uh, I did first just want to start by saying, uh, you guys sound great. Um, like Chris said, I just got back um, from camp with a bunch of high schoolers. There were like 1,400 high schoolers there. We brought 24 of our own. And one of the best parts is getting here everyone's voices being raised to uh, praise the Lord. So I um, enjoyed hearing you all um, sing and praise the Lord here uh, this morning. It is good seeing everyone in here. It's a lot of fun uh, seeing all the kids in here as well, which will make the next part a little bit more fun. I honestly uh, forgot that all the kids were going to be in here when um, I wanted to do this here with you guys together. So what I want you to do real quick is here in a second, I want you to turn to those around you in true student community fashion. You got to have some crowd participation in here. I want you to share with those around you, what is a pet peeve that you have? What is that you know, small thing that just really gets under your skin that it doesn't bother anyone else, but maybe it drives you crazy? So share with those around you, what is a pet peeve that you have? Thank you all for playing along with me and sharing your pet peeves. I think uh, you guys are just as passionate about your pet peeves as you were in worship. So I know that this is a touchy subject and you guys are already probably fighting right now. Uh, I won't make you guys do what I do with the students and have you raise your hand and volunteer to share your pet peeve. It's always a dangerous game when I play that game with the students, even more so with a big room that seemed very passionate about their pet peeves. But what I will do with you all this morning is I will um, share with you guys one of my pet peeves because I'm up here, so I get to share with you guys a simple pet peeve that honestly I think was passed down to me. And I didn't know pet peeves could be passed down. I don't know if it was genetically or learned behavior, but I learned from my dad the pet peeve of do not touch my hat. I have learned that with, growing up, my dad, we would you know take this hat off his head and he would immediately be like, give me my hat back. You know, like, the dad voice immediately came out. There was no like transition to it. It was anger, and it got worse when we started to play keep away. And so what I've learned is I don't even know when this happened, but one time someone took off my hat and I snapped. And I was like, I am already my dad, and I do not like it when people touch my hat. And I want to tell you guys what I told the students. This is not an invitation to test this, and if I'm wearing a hat, to take it or play keep away. I want to be your all's friends. I don't want us to be enemies. But we all have that something, right? We've got that small something that can really just drive us up a wall. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not even a pet peeve, but nails on a chalkboard. Maybe it's someone, <laughs> the whole room squirms. Maybe someone clicking their pen or the way someone constantly shakes their leg. Or maybe you hate it when people are late to a meeting. Maybe you hate it when people talk during a movie, interrupt conversations, when they chew loudly, smack their lips, scrape their silverware. When people drive too slow, or maybe when people drive too fast, 
or maybe both, and all of us think we're the best drivers here in the room, myself included, but when these pet peeves happen, right, when, when that thing that drives us crazy that maybe it doesn't drive anyone else crazy, we are very quick to react to it, right? Like as soon as someone's clicking their pen, and if you hate that, you're like, quit clicking your pen, all right? Like I chew my popcorn very obnoxiously, apparently, and my wife is quick to tell me, quit chewing your popcorn like that, slow down, I'm like, all right. But, it, but the reality is that when we have those pet peeves, we are very quick to speak up about it. We get frustrated, we'll yell, we'll be like, please stop, we leave the room, you know, when we're driving, we honk our horns, whatever, but we're very quick to do something about the stuff that annoys us and rubs us the wrong, the wrong way. So I want to tell you, share with you two stories today from Scripture uh, where the characters see something happening and they do something about it. They speak up or they take action in response to something that set them off for one reason or another. So the first story we're going to look at today is one that honestly a lot of us are all familiar with. If not everyone, whether you're a Christian or new to church, you know, the whole culture knows the story of David and Goliath, right? We all know the story of the underdog little David going up against the big giant Goliath. And we all know, spoiler alert, at the end of the day, David takes down Goliath. Again, a, a lovely, powerful, awesome story that we share, you know, to motivate us, to remind us, hey, no matter what happens, you know, God is on our side, so no, nothing, nothing in our way can get in our way with God on our side. And we share this story with our kids. We see it in movies, you know, sports metaphors all the time. We love talking about the power of the story of David and Goliath. And absolutely, that is something that should be taught, should be talked about. But I want to look at just a simple question that David asked today in the story that I think is often overlooked in, in the midst of the awesome triumph, in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the war and, you know, God moving in a powerful way. Because to backtrack, before David takes down Goliath, he was, all, he was there just to deliver supplies. His dad is like, hey, I need you to go bring some supplies to your brother. You know, give me a report. Tell me how they're doing. Like, are they well? Are they alive? I just kind of want to know what's up. So the only reason David's even there in the first place is just to deliver some goods. He wasn't there to fight the giant Philistine Goliath. But when he shows up that day, when he's delivering the goods and he arrives on the camp, it is about that same time when the Philistine Goliath comes out and he said his daily taunt, his daily challenge to God's people, to God's army. He's like, come and fight me. Send somebody to come and fight me. Aren't I your enemy? Aren't, I, aren't you guys the Israelites and I'm a Philistine? Aren't you guys supposed to be God's chosen people? Come and prove it. Come and prove it and take me down. And if so, you guys win. But if I take down your man, then we win. Just you know, a one-on-one big standoff. And he shouted that out every single day. And we have to remember, David wasn't there every single day. He was there to deliver some goods. And upon hearing this challenge, David simply says this. Who is, or what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Again, I think a simple overlooked passage. You know, who is this man? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? In other words, who is this enemy of the army of God to talk down to us? Who is this guy to challenge our God? And why are we so scared of him? 
Because David had a proper understanding of who his God was, was and the power of his God and that God was on their side. But the rest of God's men, the rest of the army, looked out at the immediate challenge. They just saw the physical threat right in front of them, and they thought they were powerless. They thought they were hopeless. But David, in that moment, remembered God's faithfulness. He remembered that God was on their side, and it set him on fire. Just, I mean, imagine that. Imagine David in this moment, you know, not even supposed to be there, and we know at the end of the story he takes down Goliath. Just imagine him being in that moment, talking to his fellow, fellow men. Are you guys serious? Why, why has this guy been doing this to us for however long he's been doing it? Why have you guys let him just come and talk down about our God? Don't you guys know who we are? Don't you know who he is, that he is the enemy? Like, why are you guys allowing this? And on top of this, I'm sure it set him off that this Philistine, this enemy, Goliath, was talking smack against his God. Like God couldn't do something. Like God's people were weak and helpless. So I want you to hold on to this, this kind of attitude, this mentality from David as he saw a wrong in front of him, as he saw injustice, as he saw his people scared as we move on to our next story. And this next story isn't maybe as famous as the story of David and Goliath, but I think it's a story that kind of shares a similar message, but maybe in a little different way. And this story comes from Paul's life after he has become a follower of Jesus. You know, so quick recap on Paul, right? Paul used to persecute Christians. He used to hate the church. He wanted to end it, and he was, you know, an enemy of God's people, even though he thought he was doing the right thing. But ultimately, we know he comes to follow Jesus and becomes one of the most influential leaders in all of church history, writing 13 letters, writing, you know, a large chunk in the New Testament, giant influence to Christians. And we know that after persecuting Christians, he went around, and his number one mission was to tell people about Jesus. It didn't matter where he was. It didn't matter who he was talking to. He was just like, I just want people to know the hope that I found in Jesus. So it didn't matter if you were Jewish or Greek. It didn't matter if you already worshiped God but didn't understand everything or if you worshiped Zeus or any other mythological god. It didn't matter if this person that he was talking to was a high-standing philosopher that was well-respected or some lowly person that was not respected in the streets. What mattered to Paul was that Christ's name was being preached. So that quick background real quick, that leads us to Acts 17, verse 16, 22 through 31. So let's read this together. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And we're going to skip this little part, but basically, he, while in Athens, he continued to do what he always did. He taught about Jesus. So then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Arapagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walk around and look carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you were ignorant to the very thing you worship, and that is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history in the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. 
though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have even said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. A long passage, a powerful passage that we're not going to take the time to break down piece by piece by piece, but there are kind of two simple parts to it. And the first part is the part that I really want us to focus on, and that is simply verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed. He was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. He looked around and he just saw a lost and corrupt and a broken city. He looked around and he saw hopelessness. And I imagine that as Paul saw all this, his heart was broken. His heart was broken as he saw these people just looking for something. They were just looking for something to put their hope in, something to worship that might yield them a better crop, that might yield them a better life, and they didn't know who it was, and Paul could see that. He saw their idols everywhere, and he saw the things that they were worshiping, so much so, he said, hey, you guys are religious, I see that. I see you're trying to cover your bases so much so that you have an altar to an unknown God. I see you guys are trying, but what you are seeking, what you are trying for, it's all fake. It's not going to bring you any joy. It's not going to bring you any comfort. It's not going to bring you any freedom. It's not going to bring you what you were hoping for. And so he looks around and sees these confused people. He looks around and sees these lost people, and he takes action. And he does that solid mini-sermon and just tells the people, he saw their brokenness, their hopelessness, and the idols that they were worshiping, and tells them, hey, those are not the one true God. He tells them about the one true God, the hope and the freedom that they can have in him. He tells them that God is uncreated. No one could make God. God is infinite forever, and he created each one of us individually. And so Paul looked out, and he saw something. He saw something that broke his heart, and he took action and told the people about Jesus. And like I said, even though these two stories are very different, one is war, you know, and, you know, that's awesome, and he took down Goliath, and let's celebrate the power of God, and God is on our side, and the other is just a simple and powerful sermon. But they both have a very similar connection. In David's case, again, Goliath was belittling God's army, talking down about God, talking down about his people, and God's people were scared, and David was frustrated about it. So he took action. In Paul's case, he saw the people worshiping the false gods, and he saw the hopelessness that that road was going to lead to. So he told them the hope and the freedom that they could find in Jesus, and he took action. In both of these stories, they saw something that either broke their heart, that made them angry, and they did something about it. They took action. And as I look at these two different stories, I just can't help but wonder— what does this look like for us today? As followers of Jesus, what are the things in this world that should just make us angry? What are the things that should break our hearts? 
And of course, the following question, what are we going to do about it? And I think it's very easy to look around very similar to Paul and just see hopelessness, to see brokenness, and to see a world that is getting less and less Christian and following less and less of God's teaching. We look around and we live in a culture that says that God is dead, a culture that says everyone else can have and share their opinion unless you're a Christian, a culture that more and more tries to contradict and confuse God's plan for man and woman. We see a world that for one reason or another needs to have debates and scientists and courts to figure out if a life in the womb is valuable and worthy of protection. We turn on the news and every day see another heartbreaking story. We see another life loss. We see another person take their own life with anxiety and depression on the rise. And we hate that, right? We see that every single day we turn on the news. A culture that is more and more broken and lost. So again, I ask you, as followers of Jesus, what breaks your heart today? What sets you on fire? And what are you going to do about it? David, he slayed Goliath and showed everyone on both sides the power and faithfulness of God. Paul spread the hope of Jesus to a people lost in worshiping randomness. Bravely Women's Health, whose student community we did a, a fundraiser for back in February. They provide free resources and counseling to women in very difficult situations. Women who think that being a mother is impossible. They're fighting for life. They're fighting for families, for the born and the unborn. Every year at Calvary, we do the Run for Justice. We've done the Run for Justice, I don't even know how many years, with the ultimate goal of ending one of the worst operations that has ever existed, a goal to end slavery and trafficking. Bob Davies, Marcus Hammock, and many other people at Calvary are taking a stand against addiction, and they want to see people set free from the things that are holding them down as they have seen the power of Jesus in their life. And so they have Celebrate Recovery here every Tuesday night to share the truth and the hope and the good news of Jesus Christ. Like Chris said, this past week we took a bunch of high schoolers to a CIY, Christ and Youth Conference, and one of the passions of the conference is to tell middle school students and high school students, and really anyone else who is there, that no matter how old you are, no matter where you are from, we are all called to be kingdom workers. We are all called to make a difference in the kingdom of God if we're willing to just say yes. And all week we heard stories of high schoolers who saw a problem and they wanted to do something about it. There was a group of high school students that realized that not everyone has beds. They went overseas and they saw this and realized there's, there's not only people overseas that don't have beds, but people in our own homes, in our own city that don't have beds. So they started raising money and providing beds to those who didn't have them. There's a group of students that just takes their free time and they take that time to feed the homeless. There's a group of students who um, use their skills, their talents, their hobbies, their interests, and they did a tournament and raised a bunch of money, like $10,000, to help someone in their community who was just recently diagnosed with cancer. So again, I ask, what breaks your heart? What gets you fired up? I know sometimes we look around at the world and all we can think are negative thoughts. 
it's hopeless. I mean, how can I make a difference? Like, that problem is way too big for me. Or maybe we, we don't even think of how can we help, but we just get frustrated and start pointing fingers and blaming other people and just, you know, getting mad in the wrong way. Getting mad and just making excuses and blaming other people. And I know I've found myself in both of those camps. But I want to encourage you and remind you that God is always working. Simple truth, right? But it's true. He's always working in your lives, in the lives around you, and he has called us to play a part in this. Just as we sang about 500 times at VBS a few weeks ago, kids, you guys know this. If you want to sing it as I'm reading along, go for it. Whatever you want to do. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared ahead of time for us to do. And I know you guys are singing it in your heads right now. I had to fight not to sing it. But this verse, we love it, right? For we are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. And I'm sure everyone in here, it's at least a top five favorite verse for you. And for good reason. It is a beautiful and powerful truth to hold on to. It's a truth that we need to live by and remember that God created every single person with purpose, with a plan, and he loves and created us intentionally. But the question we need to ask and focus on that last part of the verse is why did God create us this way? Why did he create us with unique abilities? Why are we God's masterpiece? Why did he create me the way that I am? And the last part of the verse says we are created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared ahead of time for us to do. God has called us to be kingdom workers like we talked about all week with our high school students. So I'd encourage you to really just wrestle with this, to wrestle with those questions. Why am I here? What is setting my heart on fire? What do I want to, what can I do to make a difference? So I'd encourage you to wrestle with this today and the daily training is very simple, to simply wrestle with those questions. What breaks your heart? What do you see and when you see it, it sets your heart on fire. And you just, something needs to be done. And of course, the following question, what are you gonna do about it? And perhaps that's the hardest part, so what I encourage you to do is just to really pray about this this week. Starting today, just to ask God and to create passions in your heart and those passions that you do have, just ask God to give you wisdom about what to do with it. If you have questions, to find someone who's already doing the work and try to join them in it. What sets your heart on fire? What breaks your heart? And what are you going to do about it? As followers of Jesus, we are called to make a difference. So let's learn from these examples of David, Paul, and so many others, and let's go out and make a difference in the kingdom of God starting today. Let's go and be kingdom workers. Let's pray. God, sometimes we just look out at the world and we get angry, we get frustrated, we get hopeless, we feel lost, and we just feel like we just don't know what to do, and it's impossible to overcome all those trials. So God, this week, would you just reveal to us, for those who maybe don't know where to start, reveal to us where, what you want us to be doing. And just in those simple moments, would you just help us to say yes and start small? Would you create passions in us? Would you help us to see the world through your eyes? Would you help our hearts to break at the things that break your heart and just to be angry against sin, against evil in this world? Would you give us courage and boldness 
to say yes all the time, no matter the fear, no matter the consequences, no matter all the what-ifs and excuses we might have. Help us to say yes to making a difference in your kingdom, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.